I know school is out or about to be out for some of you. I know that school has been out for a long time for some of the rest of you. But I'm wondering if you're willing to have a little one-question quiz this morning. Are you willing to have a little quiz that's true or false? We've come to the end of our series on the book of Galatians, and it's only fitting that we have a little quiz, right? Are you, are you willing to have a little quiz this morning? Amen. All right, thank you, Roland. It's just a one-question true or false quiz, and it's simply this, okay? True or false, it is easier to do wrong than it is to do right. True or false? Let's open up the scriptures this morning to what we just read in the book of Galatians. We've gone now through this book pretty exhaustively. We've visited time and time again. I was sharing a couple of weeks ago with, I think it was Jay, that when you only preach at a church twice a month, it takes a lot longer to get through a book. seems like it's been about three or four months since we started this wonderful little book, and I've been blessed by it. I hope you have been as well, but I'm not crying that we're going to move on to another series soon. But this has been a wonderful book, the book of Galatians. There's so much packed into it. And so we want, to, we want to bring it to a culmination here this morning. I know there's more that we could look at in the book of Galatians, but this to me is the, the, the last great idea in the book of Galatians that, that we're going to read here this morning. So let's go right to Galatians chapter 5 again. We're going to look at verse 16. As we ponder this question, it is easier to do wrong than it is to do right. I heard some truths. I heard some falses. We'll see what Paul has to say because maybe it's true and false. But uh, let's discover what Paul has to say. Galatians chapter 5, again, we read in verse 16. Paul says, I say then, walk in the what? In the Spirit. And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And finishing up the chapter, verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You know, as we've gone through the book of Galatians, we have these wonderful thoughts of God's grace and His forgiveness and His and the fact that we are to live by faith and how much He loves us and so forth and how we can't follow the rules and expect to inherit God's kingdom simply by being rule followers. But here towards the end of the book, Paul has some mighty strong language for those who are in Galatia. He tells them who will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now in this day and age of of, of licentiousness and lawlessness and everybody doing whatever they want to do, 
Paul is very strong when it, when it comes to the subject. He makes it very clear. We talked a little bit last night as we were at our Bible study. We were actually going through the book of Ephesians in our Bible study with the young adults. And Paul also said kind of the same thing in our passage that we read last night in the book of Ephesians. And that is that God is love and He's mercy and He has grace, but the Bible does not teach the idea of universalism. You understand what that idea is, I trust? Universalism teaches that God is so loving, God is so gracious, God is so kind that anybody and everybody will be in heaven because of God's love and His mercy. But Paul makes it clear that that's not the case. He makes it clear that those who participate, actively participate in these certain behaviors will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You see, God, his top, one of his top priorities, brothers and sisters, in this whole universal plan of salvation, one of his top priorities is to, to make the universe safe. Think about that for a second. God wants to make this universe safe. He wants as many people as he can to, to be saved, but he also wants this universe to be safe. So if you and I get to heaven and there's a, a, a criminal living next to us who just is a hardened criminal that has never given up, never given up their life of sin or whatever the case may be, you and I are going to be perhaps a little bit worried, aren't we? So God wants to have a people who have given up that life, who have given up that selfishness, because he wants to have, a, have the universe in a place where sin will never rise again. He wants, to, he wants to make sure that rebellion is taken out of our hearts. I know that uh, one of my favorite preachers, Pastor Rick Kuntz, who I know is near and dear to many of you here as well, the idea that he often brings that I love the way he says it. He says there's only one thing that God can't bring to heaven, and that's rebellion. The only thing that God can't bring to heaven is you and I if we have a rebellious heart. If we are continuously saying no to God, if we are continuously resisting the Spirit, God says, you know, I can't bring you there. Because I want to make sure that this universe is safe. And although I love you, it wouldn't be very loving to your neighbor if you were continuously living a selfish life. So God is, is not going to be able to bring rebellion to heaven as much as he loves us, as much as he cares for us and forgives us. And that's why Paul brings it on strong. He says, you know what? If we are living this lifestyle as much as God loves us, and cares for us, he will not bring us to heaven. Now don't misunderstand what this passage says. Paul is not saying if that you and I have fallen occasionally or, or, or once in a while, or if we've done it once in the past or twice in the past, or even if we've done it a thousand times in the past, God is not going to keep us out for sinning. He's going to keep us out for continuously living that type of life. God, God has forgiveness for us, brothers and sisters. So if you and I have a speckled past, which we do, do we not? That's not enough to keep us out of heaven. What will keep us out of heaven is if we refuse to surrender to God. If we refuse to, to fall down on our knees and say, Lord, forgive me, I have made another mistake. But we want to look back at verse 16 because 
This passage is one of the most beautiful promises in all of Scripture. And it speaks to our question at the top of our sermon. What does Paul say there? This passage was one that I never really had a deep appreciation for until a few years ago. But what does Paul say in verse 16 of chapter 5? I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the what? Of the flesh. I want you to take note, you have it there in your study guide, of the Greek words that are used in this little passage. And I have misplaced my study guide somewhere that, that uh, let's see here. The one that has the answers, the cheat sheet. <laughs> but what, is, uh, what, are, what are the Greek words there? We need to understand what Paul is saying here. Because when it says, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, Flesh. Paul actually uses stronger language. The Greek words that he uses there is a little construct, two words long. It's, a, it's ume. Can you say that after me? Ume. It literally means never or no way. It's actually like a two no's in a row. He's saying, no, no. He's saying, you will not. You will never. You cannot. There is no way you will fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So what Paul is saying is when you and I are living by the Spirit, when we are living by faith, when we are living by God's grace, the wonderful, beautiful news is that you and I will not fall to temptation. I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but that is wonderful, powerful, good news. Now you and I say, well, wait a minute, Pastor, hold on just a second, time out. You know, I... If I was just looking back on my day yesterday, I, I said a lot of mean things, and I said you know, this to my wife or my husband, and I kicked my dog, and I got mad at my, my boss, and you know, I, I told a little bit of a fib when I was at work and so forth. So does that mean that God doesn't love me? No, that's not what that means. And many, many of us will look at our experience and we'll say, ah, this, this can't be true. I'm a Christian after all, and I mess up, so it must mean that I can walk in the Spirit and I can sin. But what does Paul say? He actually gives us good, wonderful, powerful news. It's a promise that you and I can take to the bank. I'm going to share at the end, just a few minutes, at the end, a little bit of my experience, my struggle, my, my walk, the good and the bad. But God gives us this beautiful assurance that when you and I are living by the Spirit, the Spirit lives out His life and His grace within us so that we don't do those things that God does not want us to do. Notice what Paul goes on to say in verse 17. We have this backwards. Many of us have probably read this and interpreted it the wrong way, but notice what Paul says there. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. So we read this and we say, okay, the flesh and the spirit are warring against one another, and the, the flesh is going to win out because it's more powerful, and so we do those things that we don't want to do. You know, I want, we think of Romans 7, those things that I wish I do, that which I don't do, and you know, you, you understand that one. And eventually we say, wow, you know, I wish I could be a good person, but I can't because the flesh is so strong, and so I do those things that I don't want to do. But we have to interpret it in light of the previous verse. What Paul is beautifully telling us here is that when the flesh and the spirit are at war with one another, the spirit is strong enough to give us the victory so that we don't have to do those things that we would do otherwise. 
So we see that, we read that word wish, and we kind of make it sound like that it's a good thing that we're, we're not able to do. And I think Roland's translation even says we don't do those things we want to do. But I think it's to be interpreted the other way. When the spirit and the flesh are warring, the spirit is strong enough so that we are able to overcome those things that not that we want to do, but we are able to overcome those things that we would do if left to ourselves. You see, when God comes into our hearts by faith, as we've been reading throughout the book of Galatians, when he comes into our hearts by faith, he changes our desires to match up with his. And even though the flesh is weak, if we respond to the Spirit and we allow the Spirit to have reign in our lives, there is no possible way, so long as we are surrendered, for us to stumble and fall. That's good news, not bad news, friends. People people hear that, oh no, that's terrible news. I'm such a sinner. No, it's great news. God's grace is strong enough to teach us to say no to ungodliness. I want you to notice this long, long quotation. This is the one I want to make sure you had your study guide for. From A.T. Jones, powerful, powerful, powerful thought. Notice what he says here. I want you to stick with me. It's, I think, four paragraphs, five paragraphs long. If your neighbor needs to give you a nudge, I would encourage your neighbor to do so, to keep you awake. Notice what he says. It can never be repeated too often that under the reign of grace, it is just as easy to do right as under the reign of sin, it is easy to do wrong. Did you hear that? If I am living by God's grace, if I am living and walking in the Spirit, it is just as easy to do right as it is to do wrong when I'm not living by the Spirit. See, you and I have this all backwards. We think, oh man, it is so hard to do right. And it is if we're walking by the flesh. But if God's Spirit takes us by the hand and leads us, it's just as easy to do right when we're living by the Spirit as it is to do wrong when we're not. He goes on to say, This must be so, for if there is not... Forgive me, I have to turn over and look at the right word. If there is not more power in grace than there is in sin, then there can be no salvation from sin. But there is salvation from sin. This no one who believes in Christianity can deny. I hope that's a true statement. I think some of us are in Christianity and we don't think it's a true statement. We do deny that. But God has come to give us salvation from sin. He has come to free us from sin. Remember John, when he saw Jesus coming up, John the Baptist, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who does what? Who takes away the sin of the world. Many of us just interpret that to mean, you know what? God takes away my sin so that I don't... I don't have to have that sin held over me and held against me and he forgives me. But when he takes away sin, he wants to remove it from our lives. Now, don't get me wrong. We will always be tempted, even to the very end of this world. We'll always have the temptations and the sinful nature. But God wants to teach us, again, to say what? Two-letter word. Begins with N, ends with O. He wants to teach us to say no to ungodliness. And he's the greatest teacher that's ever lived on the planet, friends. 
He goes on to say, Yet salvation from sin certainly depends upon there being more power in grace than there is in sin. Then, there being more power in grace than there is in sin, it cannot possibly be otherwise than that wherever the power of grace can have control, it will be just as easy to do right as without it is easy to do wrong. Are you following his logic here? I hope you are following. It's brilliant. No man, he goes on to say, ever naturally found it difficult to do wrong. Amen? You and I are born. We think it's the easiest thing in the world. It is the easiest thing in the world to do wrong when left to our our natural man. His great difficulty has always been to do right. But this is because man naturally is enslaved to a power, the power of sin, that is absolute in its reign. Sin is absolute. We, ha- we, we don't stand a chance against it. We are powerless against sin. And so long as that power has sway, it is not only difficult but impossible to do the good that he knows and that he would. Let a mightier, listen now, let a mightier, a what? A mightier power than that have sway, then is it not plain enough that will be just that it will be just as easy to serve the will of the mightier power when it reigns as it was to serve the will of the other power when it reigned. Follow me now. Stay with me. But grace, listen to this beautiful, beautiful promise. But grace is not simply more powerful than is sin. If this were indeed all, even then there would be fullness of hope and good cheer to every sinner in the world. But this, good as it would be, is not all. It is not nearly all. There is much more power in grace than there is in sin. How much more? Much more. There is much more power in grace than there is in sin. For where sin abounded, grace did what? Much more abound. Romans Chapter 5, verse 20. And just as much more power and grace than there is in sin, just so much more hope and good cheer there are for every sinner in the world. Brothers and sisters, what Paul teaches in Galatians and Romans and Ephesians and every other book he ever wrote was that there is much more power and grace than there is in sin. There's a little anecdotal story I heard once shared about a preacher who was standing up and he was sharing, you know, sin is so hard to overcome and it's so powerful and we can't overcome it and it's so difficult. And a dear sister stood up in the middle of the sermon and she said, Brother, stop glorifying sin. How often do we do that? We think, wow, sin is the most powerful agent in the universe. When God says, my grace abounds much more. And where there is sin, there is a multitude more of grace that's available to us. You and I are just invited to walk by the Spirit. And when we simply walk by the Spirit, we don't try to make ourselves good because when we walk by the Spirit, the Spirit makes us good. The Spirit teaches us not to be like a broken record, but it teaches us to say what? No to ungodliness. Paul goes on to say, we read in Galatians chapter 5, we, after going over all the 
descriptions of those who won't be in the kingdom of God. Notice what he says in verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness. That's an interesting word used in the Old Testament to describe those who are separating themselves from God. There was the clean and the unclean. Lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions. The word for selfish ambitions actually literally means rivalries. Hmm. Dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand... Praise the Lord. Paul tells it to us now and not after the second coming, right? He says, I'm going to tell it to you beforehand. I haven't been there at the second coming, although it seems as though Paul may have had an experience in heaven and vision. But he said, I'm just going to tell you ahead of time. I can guarantee you that if people are engaged in these behaviors, God loves you, but you ain't going to be in heaven. That's strong language for us, brothers and sisters, and it's pretty all-encompassing, isn't it? It's not just one or two. It's not just the big sins that you and I focus on. It's pretty all-encompassing. Don't you and I have a little bit of jealousy in our hearts, a little bit of selfish striving of things that the Lord is trying to work out of us? You say, well, Pastor, you're preaching salvation by works. Teaching salvation by grace is what Paul has been teaching all along. Paul's the one who changes gears a little bit. And what he's simply describing is those who are living by grace and by the Spirit and those who aren't. Because when the Spirit comes into our hearts, it takes over completely. God wants to give us all of the Spirit. He doesn't want to just just cleanse us from our past mistakes. God wants to give us complete victory in Jesus. He wants to give us the entirety of His grace and His mercy. See, we we limit God's grace to simply putting a little check mark next to our name, thus giving us the right to go to heaven. And that's a very important part of salvation and grace. Forgiveness is of the utmost importance. But God's grace not only pardons us, but it empowers us. That's what Paul is saying. He goes on to say in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit. Notice, I'm sure you've heard this before, it doesn't say fruits of the Spirit. It says fruit. These are just one package deal. So it's not like you and I can just you know, be loving, but we can't have peace. God wants to give it all to us. He goes, the fruit of the Spirit is keeping the Sabbath, right? That's what he says. The fruit of the Spirit is paying tithe. That's what he says, right? The fruit of the Spirit is dress reform. That's what he says, right? No. He says the fruit of the Spirit, don't get me wrong, these things are good, but they are not the fruit themselves. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such... There is no law. In other words, Paul says it's not, the, it's not against the law to have love, joy, and peace. Aren't you glad? It's not against the law to have that joy and love and peace. Now, some precious saints may try to make it against the law to have love, joy, and peace. You come to church, you can't smile in church. You know, that's against the law. Well, I have peace and I have joy, brother. No, it's against the law. You can't. Paul says, no, no, no. There is no law against these fruit of the Spirit. I kind of 
was being a little facetious about the Sabbath keeping and the dress reform, the diet reform. All these things are good, friends. But they're not the fruit itself. They, they, they may be ways in which the fruit expresses itself. They may be ways in which we enjoy more love and peace and long-suffering. But, you know, I, I've heard, and I've, I've been sharing this a little bit with a few people lately, you know, I've heard a lot about Christians, the importance of Christians, and especially Seventh-day Adventist Christians, being different than the world. And I say, praise the Lord. God has called us to be different, has he not? But usually when we talk about being different, we're talking about behaviors. And what God is talking about in being different is the quality of our relational interactions. Am I becoming more loving? Am I, be, am I enjoying more peace and joy and long-suffering and patience? And yes, the very last one as well, self-control. That's an important one, isn't it? That is a part of the fruit of the Spirit. But God is inviting us to have our relational attitudes improve. And all these other things are simply manifestations of that. So when I come to Sabbath, I'm not keeping the Sabbath just to earn salvation or to be a good person. I'm coming to enjoy the Sabbath so that God may make me a more loving person. Do you understand what I'm saying? I avoid certain foods so that I can become a more loving person. I know that you have found this to be true as well, that sometimes the most unloving people are the healthiest people, if you know what I'm saying. I won't go into that anymore. But God wants us to enjoy his fruit within the proper context. He wants us to enjoy these standards and these behavioral issues as a way and a means by which we become more loving and kind and joyous and so forth. And if we don't have the fruit, but we have the lifestyle, there's something missing. God is inviting us to live by his spirit. Notice what he goes on to say in verse 24. And those who are Christ have done what? Have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Friends, have you been crucified today? Have you allowed God to lead you by his spirit to the foot of his cross? Have you, had heard, have you heard the spirit saying, must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No, no, no. There's a cross for everyone and there's a cross for who? There's a cross for me. That's how the old hymn goes. God is inviting us to allow ourselves to be crucified with Christ. Paul already went over that, of course, in chapter 2. But he's inviting us to have that experience be our experience. And what that simply means is saying, Lord, not my will, as Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. Notice this powerful quotation. This, to me, is even more powerful than Mr. Jones. E.J. Wagner says this. I love the way he put it. Powerful, powerful, powerful. I want you to pay attention to this. Put it up on your refrigerator. Put it up on your mirror. Whatever it is, memorize it. Let no professed Christian take counsel of his own imperfections and say that it is impossible for a Christian to live a sinless life. Man, I'm so messed up. I just fall all over, over and over and over again. There's no way I'm going to be able to overcome it. Well, that's true. There's no way you can overcome it. But he says, let no professed Christian 
look at his own imperfections, his own sin, his own weakness, and say, ah, it can't be done. We're doing experiential theology if that's what we're doing. You hear what I'm saying? We're basing our understanding of the Bible on our own experience rather than a thus saith the Lord. He goes on to say, it is impossible. What is it? It is impossible for a true Christian, one who has what? Full faith to live any other kind of life. I didn't hear an amen. See, all of us were doing experiential theology. We're saying, oh man, I am such a bad person. This means I'm going to be lost because I sin all the time. But Paul is giving us, and E.J. Wagner, and every other person who's understood this message is giving us the powerful news of God's much more abounding grace. He's saying, you live by my spirit. You live in my grace. You exercise the faith that I'm giving you, that I have in you as well. If you just simply receive that grace and that faith and you walk by that spirit, I will hold you up. I will not let you down because my grace is sufficient for you. And I am able to keep you from falling or stumbling and to present you faultless before God's throne. You just, you just watch. You wait. You'll see. problem is you and I, we don't want to live by that spirit too many times, do we? We want, to, we want to go our own way and God says, let me convert you. Let me have my way with you. I want to share with you just something from my own life that's, that's been one of those learning experiences. Now, pastors often use the pulpit as a confessional time. And uh, I don't know why we do it. But just, just to let you know, kind of an area of my life that has been maybe a decade-long challenge. And when I share it with you, some of you are going to be like, oh, it's not that bad. You're going to think, why would he worry about that? But I, I come from a family that is addicted to sports. Did you hear what I said? Addicted to sports. Addicted. Uh, just as one little insight, when I was a student missionary in Scotland back in 2001 and 2002. Does anyone know what happened in that year? My, my lovely sister, who I love dearly, she bought me a ticket. And while I was over in Scotland serving the Lord, she thought, and I appreciated it then, and I appreciate it now still, her, her kindness, she bought me a ticket to fly back to Massachusetts to watch the Super Bowl. You may have heard of the New England Patriots. In fact, I don't know how I came across it. Just a few weeks ago, I was, I was on the Internet. I don't know how I came across it. Uh, maybe I was looking for it. I don't know. But I came across an article that I had been asked a question, interviewed in, and I gave an answer, and I had gone to the celebration when the Patriots returned from uh, New Orleans, where the Super Bowl was, and my parents lived just five minutes from the stadium, so I went down and the buses came back. And I had a sign. I am so embarrassed about this. I think it was, I don't even remember it, but the article says it happened, and the newspaper is always accurate, right? I had a sign that said, I flew all the way from Scotland to see this. 
And so they interviewed me, and I read that. I said, wow, that is so embarrassing. Really, it was. So this was just kind of insight into in the whole family, from grandmother to youngest child. And it was probably about around that time. I don't remember if it was before or after. I don't know how it came upon my heart, but the Lord was telling me. I felt him sharing with me. This is too much in your life. This is too much. Too much. And so I started to feel that convicting. And and friends, you could be sitting here and you're saying, you know what, this is just going way over my head because I don't like sports whatsoever. It's the no interest. Some of you can say, you know, I like sports, but I'm not addicted to it, and praise the Lord. This is just, I'm just talking about me now, okay? And my brother Lanny. Sorry to call you out, Lanny, but I think you've shared with people this, this before, haven't you? You're not... <laughs> Sorry, Lanny, I apologize. I think you've embarrassed me a time or two as well. We're going to start a SA, Sports Anonymous, right? You're not anonymous anymore, though. Um, so the Lord was laboring with me. And I, I've had moments of, of victory, I like to say. And, you know, I'll go for six months, a year. Usually when the teams weren't doing too well, it's a lot easier not to pay attention. But, you know, last year I was at camp meeting, speaking at the New York camp meeting in Union Springs, New York. And it was right around this time of year, and the Boston Celtics were in the championship, the finals. And I was speaking at night, and after the night meeting was over, I'd go back to my hotel, and I had a nice big TV there. I'd just turn it on and enjoy the time there, watching the game. And I woke up, I think it was, must have been a Wednesday morning, and the Lord was, was placing that burden upon my heart. Tonight is game six of the finals. I said, oh, man, how am I not going to watch that game? Here I am at camp meeting. I'm preaching this message of God's grace. And I feel like a hypocrite. Just being honest with you. Again, you could say, the pastor, you're making a big deal out of nothing. You're making a big deal out of nothing. Friends, there's no such thing as a little deal with God. So I try not to discourage somebody else no matter how minor the issue may be to them. I try not to say, oh, you know, it's just cheese. I try not to say, oh, it's just coffee. Oh, it's just a movie. If that person has been impressed by the Holy Spirit, who am I to say that's a minor deal? Amen. You know, Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden and God simply said to them, don't eat this fruit. Oh, it's just fruit, God. No. Because again, God cannot bring rebellion into heaven. I'm speaking to myself, obviously, more than anybody else. Thank you. So anyway, I was there, and and I was thinking, man, what am I going to do? There's this game, game six tonight, and then all of a sudden the Spirit spoke to my heart. I I heard God sharing with me, not audibly. I'm not claiming to have that type of encounter with God. But I heard God impress upon me 
You just worry about surrendering right now. You just worry about surrendering right now. That's all you have to worry about. See, I was already a defeated foe thinking about what was going to happen at 8 o'clock that night. I was already thinking, oh, it's not going to be possible for me to overcome and to put it behind me. But God just said, just surrender right now, and if you keep surrendering, it's going to be impossible for you to watch that game. It'll be impossible for you to watch that if you just surrender right now and you continuously surrender to the Spirit. Well, I praise the Lord that I, I, was, I was overwhelmed with joy at that moment because I realized it wasn't my responsibility to not watch that game later on in the evening. And God was able to give me the victory. Problem is, I don't always walk by the Spirit. Some of you may know that there was something that went on this past week. <laughs> I was down at Camp Pitch in Freeport. And of all the Boston sports teams, hockey has been one of the, the big ones for me. My dad is Canadian, so you kind of have to like hockey. And, you know, the Bruins haven't won in 39 years and so forth. When I was at Camp Pitch, and the Spirit was speaking to me again. You know, why does that Spirit always seem to talk at just those occasions? He doesn't press it as much when it's game 40 of the regular season. Right? But what did Jesus say? The wind blows wherever it does. So too with the Spirit. We don't know where it goes and where it's coming from. The Spirit is speaking to you. You know, we have ways to to explain away, oh, I just had some bad pizza, or it's just my crazy idea. But friends, let me give you a surefire way of knowing when the Spirit is speaking to you. It's if that conviction keeps coming back again and again and again. You know you're not going crazy. You know it's not just you. See, the devil is not going to suggest good things for us to do, is he? The Spirit keeps lovingly nudging us. We were in the Monday night after we we worked for the afternoon. Uh, Elder Ortel put on a, 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 um, a sermon by Morris Venden. And Morris Venden is, is a preacher of grace and love. You know, the message that we were listening to over the, the stereo was bringing conviction strongest, some of the strongest conviction I've ever had. Saying to me, you know, you're listening to this. And Morris Venden is being used by God probably 20 years ago when he preached the sermon to respond to a relationship with God. And you're going to go and you're going to watch that hockey game tonight. The Spirit kept on convicting my heart. I hate to tell you that I listened to the flesh instead of the spirit. And again on Wednesday night. And you know, God loves us, but at some point, he just says, you know what? You can't hear me anymore. You can't hear me. I love you. I'll never give up on you. But you've turned the volume so loud in your mind and in your ears that I can't scream loud enough without disturbing the neighborhood. I'm not going to disturb the neighborhood just for you. God, he, he wishes he could, 
But remember, he's trying to make the whole universe safe. Friends, I, I, I share this. I've shared this in my previous churches before and then I've had dear members remind me of it, about my struggles. Some of you may have the same challenges. Some of you may be something else. But God wants us to live and walk by his spirit because he says the impossible is not only possible, but it's inevitable if we're living by his spirit. He wants us to live by his spirit. He wants us to live by his grace. How does that quotation go? Let no professed Christian take counsel of his own imperfections and say that it is impossible for a Christian to live a sinless life. It is impossible for a true Christian, one who has full faith to live any other kind of life. I thank, I thank God that he is ever pursuing. Whether it's been 10 years or 20 or 100 years, as long as we are willing to fall down on our knees and say, Lord, you need to deliver me from this body of sin. He will never give up on us. He will always pursue us with his grace. Friends, I want to ask that you pray for me. Would you do that? Amen. Not that I would learn how to stop doing this or whatever else I have in my heart and in my life, but that I would learn by God's grace to live by His Spirit. That's the, that's, that's the big idea. Just respond to the Spirit and live by that Spirit, and God will live out His life within us. Is there anybody here? Anybody here? Who also needs to learn to live by the Spirit? Amen. Amen. Why don't we sing together, Marvelous Grace. Isn't it great to have God's grace to pardon, to forgive, to cleanse us, and to empower us? Amen.